Chapter 8 of The Life of Jesse Harding Pomeroy by E. Luscombe Haskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8 The Manner in Which the Convict Passes His Hours. A Child of the Devil. For sixteen years, Jesse has been an inmate of the Massachusetts State Prison. During all of those years, he has been in close confinement. With the exception of his frequent attempts to escape, he has been a good prisoner. That is, he has not committed an assault or harmed any person. During a number of years, under the contract system, he was employed by a brush company and worked diligently. His workshop was his cell. His mind was fully occupied. In moments when not asleep or at work, he read considerably. One of his favorite books was The Life of Napoleon. He was especially interested in the life of the great general on St. Helena. There were many other books which he read, as there is a fine library in the prison. He also began the study of arithmetic and grammar, but never made much progress. There is no truth in the statements that he is proficient in Greek or any other language. As I have stated, his health has been good, although he had la grippe in 1891. The fact that he has been healthy has been due, doubtless, to the regularity of his diet. It may be interesting to the reader to know what the bill of fare at the Massachusetts State Prison comprises. The following is a copy. Sunday. Breakfast. Rice and milk, white bread, and coffee. Dinner. Baked fish or baked meat, white bread, fruit, tea. Monday. Breakfast. Oatmeal and milk, white bread, and coffee. Dinner. Baked beans and brown bread. Supper. White bread and tea. Tuesday. Breakfast. Meat hash, white bread, and coffee. Dinner. Corned beef and vegetables. Supper. Corned beef, white bread, and tea. Wednesday. Breakfast. Rice and milk, white bread, and coffee. Dinner. Beef soup, potatoes, and white bread. Supper. White bread and tea. Thursday. Breakfast. Meat hash, white bread, and coffee. Dinner. Baked beans and brown bread. Supper. Corned beef, white bread, and tea. Friday. Breakfast. Mush and milk, white bread, and coffee. Dinner. Clam chowder, potatoes, and white bread. Supper. White bread and tea. Saturday. Breakfast. Meat hash, white bread, and coffee. Dinner. Beef soup, potatoes, and white bread. Supper. Corned beef, white bread, and tea. The menu is varied somewhat by the warden, who, upon holidays and at other times, at his discretion, introduces articles not named in the bill of fare. At stated times, Jesse has been allowed to receive visits from relatives, which have been a source of great pleasure to him. 
Once a year, perhaps, the governor and members of the executive council visit Pomeroy's cell. The convict, as a rule, has not been communicative. He has been inclined to be sulky, and when questioned, has made brief and evasive answers. When, however, he has desired to make an impression in his own favor, he has been very talkative. Since the abolition of the contract system in the penal institutions of Massachusetts, Pomeroy's hours have passed slowly. All he has had to do has been to eat, read, sleep, and walk about his room. Occasionally he has been given outdoor exercise in the yard, but always accompanied by an officer. Sounds from the outside world rarely reach his ears. The upper arch has always been as silent as the grave. Thus has the convict lived year after year without anything to hope for except a pardon or effecting an escape. And yet his life has ever been dear to him. Nearly every person who has visited the Massachusetts State Prison has asked about Pomeroy and expressed a desire to see him. Under no circumstances have visitors been allowed to enter the upper arch. Occasionally permission has been given visitors to look through a small aperture in a heavy iron door, but all that could be seen was a row of cells. Not a human being was in sight. In all probability, Pomeroy will die in prison. With the terrible record which he has, no executive would have the temerity to pardon him. Only by the grossest negligence could he effect an escape. It is generally admitted that Jesse was born with evil propensities. As a number of horrible crimes have recently been committed, not only in the United States, but in Europe, attributable to such conditions, attention has been attracted to the subject. Distinguished medical men, who have made a study of the matter, claim that disease of such a character can be cured. The statement has not been well received by individuals who have had more or less to do with criminals. The Somerville boy, who murdered his employer, George Codman, a milk dealer, and scattered the severed remains in the snow along Lexington roads, was said to be a victim of heredity. No one appeared to have known this until after the crime had been committed. No one can truthfully deny the progressiveness of science, and yet there have been individuals who have not believed it possible for science to accurately determine whether or not a man would become a criminal. Who would have thought that Sawtell would have killed his brother, or that Almy, Deeming, and Anaste would have committed their fearful deeds? In regard to heredity, the New York Sun recently published an editorial entitled A Child of the Devil. It is interesting and is as follows. The danger of adopting babies at haphazard, on the strength of their looks only, and without knowledge of their inherited character, is illustrated very strikingly and painfully in the case of the lad Frank who was sentenced to the Elmira Reformatory last Thursday for theft. When Frank was a little child in a public institution, the beauty of his appearance attracted the interest of a well-to-do and childless gentleman 
who took him from the asylum to educate him as his adopted son. The boy received every advantage of care and education which money and affection could bestow, and his future was made secure by the declared intention of his adopted father to provide for him handsomely by will. He was like a character in a novel or play to whom fortune had come by rare chance. An extraordinarily lucky boy. In the romance he would have turned out a noble fellow, the pride, glory, and support of his grateful benefactor. As a matter of fact, he has brought up in prison before he has reached manhood. From his early boyhood, Frank showed depraved tastes, due manifestly to a depraved inheritance. He was slow to learn at school, but adept in viciousness. He took the downward road, naturally, and no amount of affectionate effort could get him into the upward path. He was born bad, his physical weakness typifying his morbid moral nature. He was turned out of one school after another as a boy insensible to moral influences and dangerous to his fellow pupils. He was ungovernable in his tastes and appetites, either by himself or anybody else. Neither kindness nor severity had any effect upon him. He seemed bound to go to the devil, no matter how great the obstacles put in his way. He was apparently equipped by nature for no other race. He took to drink and to vice of all kinds with the precocity of a determined reprobate, so that finally his long-suffering benefactor was forced to give up the attempt to restrain him from his predestined course, and Frank is now in the Elmira Reformatory, probably an incurable specimen of innate depravity. It is a remarkable case as showing the certainty with which the laws of heredity work, or, at least, the logical development of character according to conditions fixed at birth. Such innate moral deformity is no more easily curable than pronounced congenital physical deformity. Instead of becoming more pliable as maturity is reached, character becomes more and more fixed. If it begins in rottenness, it ends in loathsome corruption. If it is thoroughly diseased in boyhood, the disease is obstinate in manhood. A mere change of environment will not affect the transformation, though it may give a better chance to a character in which a sane equilibrium is disturbed by favorable conditions of life. When a man buys a horse for careful family use, he takes pains to find out something about the disposition of the animal, and if he pays a high price for it, he wants to know about its pedigree. He does not go to a refuge for neglected and abandoned horses, as to whose antecedents nothing is obtainable, and select a young colt simply because of its pretty ways. Yet here a man of business discernment ventured to adopt a baby out of an asylum, in which are presumably children of depraved or unfortunate parents, and to rear him as his own son and heir. The result is not surprising. End of chapter 8